Today is July 2nd. It is 2017. Our message is called Turkish Delight. I was coming off of Mount Ararat and received news that we were pregnant again. Oh my goodness. The prayer of this church has been like a shield around us. I want to thank you. I want to thank you for staying up the late hours. I want to thank you for the words of prophecy that you sent. In our previous trip to Turkey, I don't know how many times our whole team was. I personally, more than 20 times, was detained by the police. Had it not been for a substantial supply of rolled incense, I might never have made it out of the country alive. This time was a totally different experience. They circled like sharks, but they left like minnows. They didn't bother us at all. The very few times you'll see them present, they were simply curious, but scared to attack. It was wonderful. I believe the difference is your prayer, since it was the same spirit-filled rednecks that were trotting all over their sacred places. Uh, Today's message is going to be unusual. Uh, It is mostly media. That is highly unusual for me. But we're doing it because I wanted you to have some sense of what it was like to be there. Understand why it's important to us. To know why God delights in Turkey and He delights in you. A few of the videos are narrated to my wife. That's because I didn't intend to show them to you. But I have been careful to make sure that only what is appropriate for this congregation will be shown today. I think that we probably ought to start our message today in Proverbs. This is because the pastors in my absence have done an extraordinary job. I am so thankful for the Piros in the Sutherlands. Everything that I am not, they are with excellence. I am proud to serve God with men like these. They're extraordinary. And they give me hope. They're pillars in the house of God. And as I am next to them, I feel like a better and stronger man. So it's my understanding that they have been teaching parenting classes. Is that right? Wow. How I wish I could go back in time and caught those 20 years ago. This caused my mind to drift to Proverbs 3 in verse 11. My son... Do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. What does a father do with his son? He delights in him. That shows up in discipline. The reason that the Lord takes the time to correct us, the time to encourage us in the way of righteousness, because along that Way of righteousness is life. And along that path is immortality, Proverbs says. A father loves his son. He wants good things for us. For this church, he has designed something good for you. I want to bring that out in the very beginning of this message because as we go through this media, it would be easy to miss something. There are 80 million people in Turkey. Fewer than 5,000 of the 80 million identify with any kind of Christianity. Then if you get into spirit-filled sincerity, it's statistically off of the chart so as to be so minuscule you can't measure it. 
The vast majority of people in the nation of Turkey relate to God as a fearful taskmaster and at best they're His slave. You and I are His sons. The first chapter of John teaches us that as many as believed on them, He gave the right. Say the right. right. In your life, you may have the right to remain silent. In your life, you might have court-appointed counsel given to you. But you also have a right issued from the heavens to become a son of God. That is no small thing. When we say a son of God, understand that that implies the closeness that I have with Gabriel. The closeness that I have with Judah. The kind of fatherly affection that would fight for your children till the very death. How many daddies do we have in here? Don't think... For all of the lore about the wrath of the female bear, don't you think for a moment that a godly father will not fight for his children? Our father has named children in the nation of Turkey that have yet to step into their sonship. We went in response to prophecy. Turn with me to 1 Peter, then we're going to hit our first slide. In 1 Peter, we found a strange charismatic thing. We do that. I don't ask you to do it. We do it. And if you're so inclined, you can imitate us. In 1 Peter 1, we saw something that I, I'm just going to tell you. It's not enough to go on. And yet we did. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus. Say scattered. scattered. Now when I say Pontus, that doesn't mean anything to you. I understand it doesn't mean anything to you. It didn't mean for years either. It's just some place on the globe. Till I found out it was the southern part of the Black Sea. The northern part of Turkey. Strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus. Galatia is also the same area. Cappadocia just below that. Asia and Bithynia just to the south and west. Who have been chosen according to God's foreknowledge. I'm sorry, the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Christ Jesus by the sprinkling of His blood. God has scattered people throughout the globe. And He cares about them the same way that He cares about you. And Jesus Christ's blood is for their justification and, and their uh, sanctification just as well as ours. One of the brothers on the team was studying the word scattered. Turn with me to Psalm 112. In Psalm 112, that same word scattered appears. And he saw a Hebrew name in it. In Psalm 112, beginning in verse 9. He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be lifted high in honor. One of the brothers in studying the word scattered said, Wow, in Hebrew, that's pazar. So we looked in the region of, P of Pontus in Galatia. We looked to see if there was anything that might draw our attention for the need to visit because we were set already to go to Turkey. When we did, we found a tiny town of less than 20,000 people named Pazar. Same exact spelling, same everything. So six crazy Americans got on a plane and said, You know what? I don't know what else is going to happen. But for sure, we're going to roll into Pazar and see what happens. I can't wait to tell you that story. Let's start with our first slide. <clears throat> we traveled a lot on this trip. 
What you see there is a route that is almost seven hours that goes from Istanbul all the way down to Izmir. I just want to give you some sense of what was going on while we were there. I say that because after 12 hours on a plane, we fought with rental companies for three hours, got a, a rental car, and then set out on a seven-hour trip. Uh, can anybody say that's a lot? Not one to waste time. On the way, we passed the church of Pergamum. We'll come back to that later. On this map, it appears as Bergama. Okay, let's take our next slide. Here, we've made it all the way down to Selchuk. Selchuk is modern-day Ephesus. It's the city that Ephesus is in. You'll see pictures of that later. You can stand in the ancient city of Ephesus on a road that we know for sure the Apostle Paul walked on. You can stare down the road and see straight to the harbor. It's, it's the most well-preserved of the ancient cities I've ever seen. And uh, the largest Colosseum I've ever seen. It's an incredible thing. By the way, that was another two hours. Then we drove back that night. The next map. From there... Back in Izmir, which is biblical Smyrna, we drove all the way to Denizili, which this is where uh, Laodicea is. That was another three hours. And, uh, and then back. Let's take our next map. From there, we decided to go through each of the churches of Revelation on our way to pick up Bosch from the airport. That was another eight hours. Anybody adding this up yet? On this trip, we're not anywhere near as far as we went. And already you could cross Texas a couple times, east to west. Can somebody say LCM gets busy? <laughs> Let's take our next one. From there, we decided to go to the capital. This is Istanbul all the way to Ankara. The Turkish people pronounce that K with a G. They say Angara. We got to drive by Ataturk's um, uh, capital. And we're looking at Erdogan's palace, by the way. Uh, extraordinary. The bigger the despot, the... Wow, that's going to be online. The bigger the uh, exalted leader of Turkey, the nicer his uh, palatial dwellings. Um, that was another five hours. Uh, but this time we had Bajidar with us. Let's, let's take our next one. From there we headed north to Samsun. It's S-A-M-S-U-N, pronounced Samsun. Now... I know you're already getting bored with maps. We're going to get off of them. But already there's been many, many, many hours, more than a day total of travel. And we're pulling into Samsun and we're worshiping God. And we're going to show you videos of that in a little while. And we're like, where do we go? Because this city's got a couple hundred thousand people. I don't know. Look, there's a good spot. We parked the car. We got out. We prayed. So where do we go now? Let's just walk to the water, which praise God was close because I'm fat and I don't like to walk far. When we reached the water's edge, there was a monument, a placard there. It said that this is where Ataturk got off of the boat and began the war for independence. And there was a replica boat right there. No matter where we went in Turkey, we stumbled onto something of historic significance. The reason that's incredibly important to us is we met Iraqis there, fresh off of a boat. They only spoke Arabic. They, they, they're foreigners to the Turkish people. They'd never met Christians before. And they were broken because they're immigrants in a city that is not helping them in any way. We'll show you pictures of that in a minute. But in such a vast country, to happen to stumble upon that spot and the first people we meet are Iraqis. How interesting. What's our next one? 
We began to work from Samsun along the coast. And this is a little small for you to see. But from Samsun, you go through a series of, of cities that are about 100,000 each. And then we eventually got to Pazar, the city that we set out for. Having had some beautiful experiences there, we thought we were too close to Georgia to, uh, to stop. So we crossed the Turkish border with a few cigars for bribery and uh, entered into Georgia. And then we came back to Pazar. Now let's take our next slide. When you begin to add all of this up, it's pretty darn long. Uh, we had to go back from Batumi uh, all the way south to Pazar. Then our next slide. <laughs> this distance right here is a thousand miles. Um, we went to Mount Ararat, stood, stared at the border of, of Iran, which, by the way, we drove right up to through Peyton on the roof because Peyton's a convenient roof-sized person. He took pictures of the border, and then we closed the van and hit six gear as fast as possible with both feet riding flat on the floor and got out of there. 26 hours back to Istanbul. Can somebody say long trip? Obviously, we can't detail everything for you, but I think you'll get an idea of what was important to us. Let's take our next slide. Along the way, with so many hours, do you get an idea how many hours? Bunch of hours of travel. We took our Enterprise Rent-A-Van, all 95 horses, up Mount Ararat on a gravel road <laughs> meant for goats. Uh, and we were fortunate. We discovered something, and I would like you all to see that. My retinas are burning out. <laughs> so this is the turkey team. What day is it? June 28th, 2017. We wanted to announce to the world that we have found Noah's Ark. Yes. We found it. Yes. Gabe, come over here and show us Noah's Ark. We found it. It's right here. Genesis 6. <laughs> Hallelujah. The mystery has been solved, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go plant a vineyard. Let the record book show. It's time to go drink some wine. <laughs> we bought a bottle of wine thinking that on Mount Ararat would be a good place to have a, a, a glass of wine and celebrate the goodness of God. And uh, it was the worst rot gut vinegar I've ever seen in my life. In fact, to discourage drinking, uh, I'm going to start to serve it in communion here. And we will all revert to uh, the Southern Baptist Convention's uh, ideas. Oddly enough, as we were climbing Ararat, the vehicle was not quite designed for what we were doing. And um, <laughs> so it had a small mechanical problem, like... Engine lights and the computer shut it down. <laughs> and by the way, this vehicle was new, like just off of the truck, uh, still taking the plastic off of it when they gave it to me. And I was smoking a cigar when I got in it, and every moment that I was in it for the next uh, seven or eight days. <laughs> so uh, that vehicle will never be the same. When it overheated and stopped running... We had two mechanics with us who surmised that perhaps the traction control was causing us a problem. So they bypassed it in the brand new van and we went further up Ararat. <laughs> and when you're doing this, by the way, 
you have this feeling like that any minute Humvees or something's going to come get you because there's no like, you know, tourist steps and neatly posted signs. It's just a mountain with uh, goat herders out there. I'd like to show you what we found. All right, Churches of the One Association. We're standing at Mount Ararat, uh, where Noah and his family got off the boat, uh, at least one of the mountains in the range. Uh, we found something here, just totally by mistake. Actually, our rental broke down, and uh, we wanted to show you. This is an opening to a shepherd's cave. And uh, even today, just like they did in Israel in ancient times, what happens is they stack rocks around the edge of the cave. In that way, you can back your whole herd into the cave. The shepherd can stay in the boat, sleep right here, so that nothing gets to a sheep without him. Come on, Judah, and we'll walk into the cave. You can see all the footprints where they are and the man-made wall. If things got really rough, then the shepherd could take them push them all the way back into the cave, like that, and they would put flammable things, usually thorns or briars, on top of this and light it on fire. And this is what God was talking about in the book of Zechariah. I will be a wall of fire around my people. They were a shepherding people, and this is how they understood it. And on Mount Ararat, where our car happened to break down, we found a shepherd's cave. Praise God that uh, he is a wall of fire around those that love him. He won't permit anyone to harm us because now that we love Israel, we are the apple of his eye. We love you. God bless you. Amen. I know that that audio was not perfect. It was a little windy. But that narrow opening is where the shepherd lays to protect his sheep when they're inside the fold. In Zechariah 2, this is what the Lord is speaking about. I will be as a wall of fire around you. Nobody will touch you. You are the apple of my eye. Where our 95-horse Ford Transit broke down is where the shepherds lay at night to protect their sheep. It was a beautiful thing. The reason that I put that video in is we felt covered by a wall of fire the entire time we were there. You're going to see in a few of the pictures that the police are in the distance watching what we do. The difference is they didn't arrest us this time. There were no interrogations. There were no uncomfortable moments. We actually approached them and laughed and joked with them quite a bit. And uh, I wanted to say thank you. Without this body praying, without this body helping us, I don't know, uh, I, I just don't know how we would do the work that we did. We could tell that you were with us. It, it, it was a beautiful thing. Let's take our next one. These are uh, little Muslim boys at the port of Samsun. This is the spot where we got out of the car, not knowing quite where we were, and walked straight to a monument that is where Ataturk entered the country to end the Ottoman Empire and cause the war for independence, which we'll cover in weeks to come, has serious significance to the book of Revelation. Let's watch that. Hello, Churches of the One Association. I've just met three young boys from Iraq. They're refugees here in Turkey, and uh, they're meeting Christians. Look at these little guys. Uh, don't they deserve to know the truth? Say, hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> these guys, uh, they've never met a Christian. Okay? And that's not unusual there. Uh, they have heard of Christians like you've heard of a unicorn, but they've never seen one. And 
You have to ask yourself, do they deserve to know about Jesus? Man, when that weight of that falls on you, because these are some mother's child who only knows God as a fearful taskmaster, who only knows a subverted, uh, perverted system where she can be somebody's multiple wife and it's perfectly okay to beat her. Uh, that's, that's what they're growing up in. They don't know what you know. And it's not an intellectual thing. They haven't felt what you have felt. You know, they were from Iraq. They weren't just foreign. Um, they, they were foreign even to Turkey. Right behind are wooden planks of a dock where they got off uh, the ship at. Let's take our next one. In fact, it turns out that when a bunch of guys get out of a car from Texas and just go walk around with cases that look like you're carrying a bomb, it attracts attention everywhere we go. Uh, in fact, this man's wife and children were still in Iraq. He had escaped barely, but he was separated from them in the escape. And Peyton and Judah and Nick are telling him that God is able to meet him in his need. That Jesus Christ is different than the followers of Allah. And they're praying for him. Do you see who's in the background taking an interest? But he didn't dare come close. Because we were covered in your prayer like a wall of fire. When we did these things on our previous trip in the east, it resulted in our immediate arrest every time. This time, not once. At best, they asked what we were doing. And we boldly told them what we were doing. And they just kind of, oh, they found something else to do. I believe that's because you were praying. Let's take our next one. Wow, that's a pretty picture. Uh, Hello, church. I know everybody's curious what it's like when we're traveling around in Turkey. We're on our way to a town called Pazar, which is right by Georgia. The guys are worshiping in the vehicle behind us. We're... Uh, traveling on the highway and uh, worshiping as we drive through the towns looking for the next Lydia or uh, next Rahab, whoever it might be that the Lord has prepared in advance that we might just discover as a beautiful treasure, a gift from the Lord to see lives changed. We love you and uh, look forward to seeing you again very soon. Tonight we're in Georgia, uh, tomorrow in Armenia. Uh, after a brief stop at Mount Ararat, we go back through the center of the country searching for the scattered of God. We love you. One life, one family, one nation. <laughs> so our basic plan was to get in the car to worship and to drive to the cities that the Lord told us about and see what would happen. Let's take our next one. One of the things before you hit play here that, that you have to know we were just praying, not sure what would happen in Pazar. We've driven through towns that were 2 million, through towns that are 200,000, and now we're in a town that is less than 20,000. And it is a, a, a festival day after Ramadan uh, there, and that's caused families to reunite for Ramadan, and they're all united in the little town. And we've pulled in, we're like, Lord, you sent us from the other side of the world to here. Like... I don't know what would be a good Texas town to, to think about this. In Louisiana, it would be Bunky. Here, it might be Lake Jackson or something. Uh, Lake Jackson's actually too big. And we sat in the car for a minute, 
and a spot opened right in front of their center square, right in front of a statue to a political leader. We parked, we prayed, we got out and said, let's see what happens. When we stepped out of the car, one of these young men in the center of the screen, joking like teenagers do, seeing somebody strange walk into their area, said, hey, like that. We took that opportunity, walked over, <laughs> sat down with them. <laughs> and here's what happened. Rock Kazak Before we go any further with this, that might strike you as a bit odd, like not so remarkable. We have not been in the city square three minutes, and we're already singing Hebrew songs of praise in Muslim land, in front of the police, at a political center, with their youth. The guys that are in the bottom of the screen, uh, tattooed on their biceps, bigger guys, they're watching very carefully what we're doing. And I'm sitting next to one of them named Cesar. And we're going to tell you more about him in a minute. I want you to hear the next song. It's very brief. about that we've not been in the city 10 minutes yet and we already have a crowd several times bigger than our first meetings at church and it looks like maybe they're just skeptical maybe maybe there's not a lot happening there they're just looking at strangers sing God has wet the appetite of the people so that they're more than listening in fact we got a dinner invitation right away they wanted to talk about the things we were singing about in the conversations we were having. And they wanted to know the truth about the gospel. I'm going to share with you some more of that in a minute. Let's take our next one. This is at a dinner that they threw for us. Um, and you could get the impression that they looked for a reason to. Because we thought it was a wedding at first and then it turns out the wedding was next week. Then we thought it was like a pre-engagement kind of party. And then it turns out that they may kind of already have been married. We, we don't know. They looked for an excuse to get together with us. And when we got there, we got questions along the way. They were very concerned. Look, uh, 
Our imams, um, they, they preach about poverty, but they're all rich. Uh, we're not rich. That's what they said. They said, oh, that's okay. We'll fit right in. We're, we're also not rich. They said, our imams tell us um, not to drink, but everybody does. I said, oh, no, that's okay. We drink too. The response was, we wish our imams were more like y'all. They were very, they were very, very concerned that we would not accept them. And so we made up our mind, you know, leave every glass half full. We didn't know what we were eating. We didn't know what we were drinking. Just go and participate with a big smile. And something beautiful began to happen. Okay, uh, Churches of the One Association. Behind me, we have a man that we met uh, in a city square, sent here by a prophetic word from First Peter, confirmed by two witnesses. Uh, these men have all known each other 20 years. They're high school classmates. We are discussing the differences between Muhammad and Jesus right now. And uh, it is an eye-opening experience. All over the world, men are beginning to crave and yearn for the truth of the gospel. But someone has to answer the call from Peter to Cornelius. We love you and we appreciate you praying for us. Uh, this culture is different than ours. They have bottles of uh, spirits on the table. They have all kind of different things. And yet they're hungering for the Lord. And uh, there's something similar about them to us that is interesting. We already love them, and they seem to love us. We just wanted you to know. Thank you. Keep praying. This is happening right now. What missions board in the world would say, hey, you know what? You got a word, Pazar? Go after it. Fly around the world. Drive for days. Show up in a town. And, you know, if they're throwing kind of a party, just go to it anyway. But that's exactly what we did. And I want to tell you, take our next picture. Uh, the things that were being done uh, at this meeting. Wow, can you tell that they're smoking? Every person there had a cigar. They love Poros there. I don't know what to tell you, but they do. Uh, I, want to, I, I penciled down during that video the order of the questions they asked me. They asked me, how could the incarnation be true? We are taught that God can't have a son. That gave us a chance to talk about the way in which Jesus is a reflection of His Father. We ask Cesar to stand in front of a mirror, and the mirror is not Him, but in looking at the mirror, you can see what He is. We said Jesus is like that, but He's also actually the substance of the Father. Cesar would turn to everybody else, explain it, and one by one they would nod their head in understanding. They accepted what they were hearing. They, thought they had never heard a Christian represent the truths of the gospel before. One of them we nicknamed Lumberjack right away because he was kind of a burly guy and we found the only Turkish people that carry guns uh, in this one little provenance. And uh, they're interesting people and they loved us and we loved them. The more they heard about Texas, they said that they think they would like Texas. <laughs> it took me a little while to differentiate us from our two coasts. Um, until, you know, the churches of the One Association reform our east and west coast. But what's going on at this table is the exchange of culture and with it gospel. They played for us a musical instrument called the tulum. 
They literally killed the goat, took its skin, and made about one quarter of a bagpipe system. And they played songs for us. They wanted us to participate in dance. But they went on from the incarnation to ask. We've been told that you Christians have four different stories about Jesus. Like y'all can't get it together. And when I explained using those, the four men that were there to describe the events that evening and how each one of them picked up a slightly different version of the event but none conflicted with each other, they nodded in acceptance. They appreciated it. We went on to discuss a religion of love versus a religion of fear. All of this is happening at a table most Christians would not even sit at. Of course, this is what Jesus was criticized for in the first century as well. One of the most interesting points to us is Cesar being a, a very educated man says it has always bothered me about the prophet marrying Aisha. He said our country has laws against marrying so young. How could it be okay that our prophet did it? We said it, it's not okay. He's a pedophile and a liar. He looked at the ground for a minute, looked at the other guys and says, this is all of our feeling. But we are Muslim. Trying to figure out what that means, I remembered my early days in Roman Catholicism. None of these people have actually read the Koran for themselves. None of them understand when the prayer call goes out exactly what's being said. They were born Muslim. They're sure that it must be right because everybody they know is and yet they don't understand the fundamentals or agree with it. It's really no different than 80% of Catholicism that I ever met. But at the top of both wicked religious institutions is a Christ-killing spirit that Cesar wanted no part of. I want to show you the text he sent me that evening. Hello, brother. We're in a wedding, therefore I didn't write last night. I'm so sorry for this. You and your sons, Nick and his father, and Peyton, you are all the best people I have ever met before. I am looking forward to see you again. I will be in Istanbul tomorrow night. Whenever you want, you absolutely may be my guest in Istanbul or Rize. You know our meeting was destiny. God bless you too, brothers. Toprak from our previous trip has experienced the ravages of Islam. He is a professed Christian and came under attack alone three days in Christ, alone at 16 years old, and now he has, he has concerns, he has doubts. He said he wonders whether what he experienced was real. We, we reunited with Toprak and Ismir. That was another miracle. He didn't live in that city until we went there and he had just moved there. And... Um, when we told him, Toprak, it's okay. Christianity does not punish people who doubt. We don't throw you out. We don't uh, look for somebody who is showing signs of apostasy and kill them. In fact, we love them, pray for them, and nurture them. Do you know why, Toprak? He said, why? I said, because Christianity is not a one-time experience. The same God that showed himself to you a few months ago will show himself to you again. He's a father who will comfort you and help you and reveal himself to you every day. Toprak was covered in tears. He loves the God of Israel and he doesn't know it yet. For right now, he's just going to love the people who are full of the God of Israel. Look, in Izmir on the coast, we have dinner invitations for a family. They want us to come stay with them. 
We have the same thing in Istanbul now. We have the same thing in Antakya. We have the same thing in Gaziantep. Missions works best when you go live with the people and not in a hotel or a compound. And you do what they do and you share your life with them. Church, this is what we're training for. This is what we're doing. And always there will be some that will say it's crass. There will be some that say it's unrefined. To them we respond as D.L. Moody did. How do you do it? I don't like the ways we do it either. You don't do it. Then I like the way that I do it better than the way that you don't do it. Okay? Uh, it's not a desire to do anything other than reach all people. Amen? Let's take our next one. Yeah, you can play it. This is in Istanbul. Just to give you an idea what the crowds are like right now. Uh, this is the second to last night of Ramadan. That is uh, one of the mosques in the area. This is the courtyard out here. And uh, there's some nationalistic uh, presentations about to occur over there that sound a lot like Hitler. And uh, then there's this little hole of commercialism right here. And just really interesting situation. So we're about to walk through the Sophia Mosque uh, called the Blue Mosque. Love you. We walked through the Blue Mosque singing Havenu Shalom Aleichem and uh, speaking to everyone we met about Jesus and no one harmed us. Let's take the next one. I want you to hear the uh, call of the Azan. So the call of the Azan is going out and uh, people are everywhere. And uh, this Azan during Ramadan goes on and on and on and on. So right now it's quiet, not that quiet, but it's, uh, it just sounds like somebody is having unlawful relations with a goat. It's terrible. Uh, just thought you'd let, let you see it a little bit. Obviously, that's very culturally insensitive, and uh, I'm sure Jennifer will slap my wrist afterwards. You develop a real hate for the call to prayer uh, five times a day during this time of year, and um, you realize that nobody understands what is being said, but they all must obey it. That's, that's the general idea. It's not important that you understand it. Uh, this reminded me very much of another dark time in history where the people were denied the light of God's word and forced to do whatever the priesthood said was right. I believe that the people of Istanbul deserve God's word. Do you? Yes. I want to show you what comes next. This is uh, in Turkish a sign above the Blue Mosque that is held up during their highest day, uh, most population. Everybody swelled in there. We saw Muslims from every country you can think of, which is very interesting. People that think that it is racist to uh, dislike Islam 
are not aware of how different one Muslim is from another. We saw Muslims from all over the world. It's really, there's just like so many other things, red-headed and fair-skinned to brown eyes and brown hair and olive-complected to uh, African Muslims. There are every group of people you can think, but do you know what the message up there says in Turkish? To expand and protect the zakat, the, uh, their tithing system. That's, that was the message of the mosque to the people that was there. Uh, is that sad? See, this is what it is to be uh, a slave. Uh, there's no life in this. Let's take our next one. Okay, we're about to do something now because I have maybe 40 minutes uh, left. Are, are y'all getting anything out of this? Yes. It's an unusual message. I like to preach more than I like to do anything else. But I think it's important for you to understand what we're trying to accomplish. What you're about to see is us sitting in Ephesus. And uh, there's a reason for this. I'm going to walk you through the seven churches. Because when you think of the seven churches of the book of Revelation, we've often been taught to see them as ages. We've taught to, been taught to see them to typify church periods. So many things. But when you're actually standing on the ground in Selchuk, which is Ephesus, and you're looking around, you're realizing before it was any of those things, do you know what it also was? A letter to a very specific church that was right there on the ground. And you're overwhelmed with the thought, but wait... There is no church here on the ground now. And you wonder whether or not you can live with that. So let's take these videos. That road goes straight to the harbor, by the way. This is a coliseum. It's huge, like Tiger Stadium. Churches of the One Association were in Ephesus sitting in the great theater. This was built in the Hellenistic period and expanded on in the Roman period. This was the same theater that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15 where he fought wild beasts and also in Acts chapters 18 and 19, the same theater that he was not permitted to go in by the other believers of his day. The interesting thing about this place is that Paul in his writings warns the church to watch out for wolves in sheep's clothing. Just a few centuries later, we have Mary declared Theotokos, the mother of God. Around that same time, where we just came from, the temple to Artemis. Artemis is portrayed with a baby in her arms. It's interesting how syncretism has its way in the lives of people who are not hungry for the truth. We must have a continual hunger for the truth of the gospel, unadulterated, unmixed with the rest of the world. Do you have that hunger today? Amen. One of the things that you realize is that the place that Paul walked into, it was about 500,000 people in the ancient world. It was the New York of his day. It was a harbor city. There's a temple to Diana or Artemis there. It is an extraordinarily overwhelming thing, like you were walking into, Arte uh, into Las Vegas today. And do you know what he did? He turned it upside down with the power of God. And that's the, the very uh, theater that he wanted to enter while they were shouting the whole city in unison, Great is Artemis, goddess of the Ephesians. And he wasn't intimidated by that at all. Nick encouraged us sitting there in Ephesus to be unmixed with the world. 
to not be polluted by the things of the world. Let's see what Judah has to say in the next video. Hello, One Association. We're at the ruins of Ephesus, streets that Paul walked. It's a particular image that we wanted to show you guys. See, look at the top here. There's an idol that is carved in that represents Artemis. And this image is on every Starbucks cup that you've ever bought. The Apostle Paul walked through these streets with his disciples, with angry Ephesians, walking, persecuting him all over this place while they were preaching the gospel and it spread as far as Asia. And these were the things that he was opposing. Idols all around us, carved in stone, that are still here to this day, that men have dedicated their lives to. And the gospel reached this far and even further because of their sacrifice. We love you. We want to encourage you with what's going on in Turkey now. Crazy that that is the very image that is on the Starbucks cups. And that is uh, a relief to Artemis right outside of her temple. Now, as we were driving, we came to a wooded area and we were looking for the, the temple to Artemis because it was spread out from the Colosseum a little bit. And um, one of the members of the little expedition really needed to find a place for a bathroom. And that brought us to our next site. Hello, Churches of the One Association and Life Changing Ministries. We're standing here in the temple to Artemis. And uh, in West Turkey, this is uh, the town of uh, Seltuk. And what an extraordinary place to be. The Apostle Paul spent more than two years here. He lectured in the hall of Tyrannus. This is where there was a riot because Demetrius, the silversmith, uh, was upset. Paul was turning the city upside down. They had burned their holy books worth more than 50,000 days wages. This is where the letter to the Ephesians was written about warfare in the spiritual realm. It closes with an admonition, an admonition that you need to know, that I need to know. It says to all who have loved Jesus with an undying love. Church, standing in places like this, we remember that our love for Jesus is undying. That also means that our love for our fellow man has to be undying. If Paul could face Imperial Rome here, the cult of Artemis, surely we can face Islam here and teach them about a love that conquers all. A sword that is of the Word of God and of the Spirit, not a sword of natural warfare. What a beautiful place. What an amazing time. We're here with a brother from Antakya who first heard our message there and is inquiring of God in all earnest. And now we're speaking to you where you stand. Is your love undying for the gospel? Do you sit in the heavenly realms with Christ? Because you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. We have been equipped by God for warfare with the principalities of this world. It's time to win. In the name of Jesus, it's time to win. In the name of Jesus, it's time to win. Appreciate the irony of what is happening here. We are six Texans and one Turkish student who has now fallen in love with Jesus, standing in what used to be the temple to Artemis. We have all just turned it into a latrine and then walked away from that area and made it into a Bible study center. And we read the entire book of Ephesians sitting in the defeated uh, temple of Artemis. 
She is not worshipped today, at least under that name. And King Jesus is victorious. Amen. I want to read to you from John 8 before we catch our next video. In John 8, in verse 34, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. When you fall in love with the King of Kings because He has broken the power of sin in your life, you will stand up to the gods of the world. You will look them in the eye and say, No, I will not be mixed with you. I don't want to be tainted with your stench. I want to walk holy before my God. This church of Ephesus received a warning. Let's take our next slide. They were told, you've forsaken your first love and fallen from the heights of your walk. That's from Revelation 2, 4 and 5, paraphrased. But they were also given a promise in Ephesus. To him who overcomes, say overcomes. Overcome. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Mixing with the world keeps us from the paradise of God. Giving in to the influences of Artemis keeps us from the paradise of God. Every Christian has before them a great choice. We can try to live in two kingdoms now which will prevent us from the paradise of God. Or we can die to this world and live to the world to come. You have to make up your mind whether you are going to overcome the world or it is going to overcome you. Let's take our next one. This is Smyrna. So it's pretty outside, and this is the metropolitan town. Uh, it's called Izmir, but it's Smyrna in the Bible. These are the young people. Uh, they're all hanging out on the grass. Uh, it's Ramadan, and uh, it's evening, so they're allowed to eat now. But this is the most secularized of all the cities that I've seen so far. And there's millions of people here. Uh, Jennifer, John visited here and his young disciple Polycarp pastored here. And uh, it was one of the largest Christian communities outside of Israel for a long time. And now there, are, there is no spirit-filled presence here of any kind. I just wanted you to know that hookah sign over there is where we're at. I love you. We would set up in a place like Smyrna and pray and ask God to cause us to meet someone. This is where we met Toprak's father. Toprak's father is a geophysical engineer. And uh, he's learning French. Uh, a, a brilliant, brilliant guy. And he was very concerned about a foreign influence on his son leading him away from Islam. I think now he's more concerned about Islam. But he has invited us to his home and has asked that we come stay with him. Uh, surely, surely it's worth stretching out for these kind of things, huh? He named his son Toprak, which is Turkish for soil. And he named his daughter Sue, which is Turkish for water. You know, we, we're, we were happy to share with him uh, some 70s music. <laughs> I ought to leave that out. So... I want to share with you something about Smyrna, not earth, wind, and fire, Smyrna. And Smyrna is one of the best attested to early Christian communities. The Apostle John was there, and the Apostle John's disciple, Polycarp, by the whole church of the time, is attested to have been the bishop in Smyrna. In fact, when arguing about other places, 
They often said things like, can you tie yourself to the apostles in the way that Smyrna can? Uh, because John went there and personally laid hands on Polycarp and all of history says so. Is it odd then that there are no spirit-filled Christians in that city today? We stopped at um, a denominational church sign and we asked literally in the middle of the night for lodging. Like, hey, we don't know where we're at. We could use some help. We're Christians. The guy shut the door and went away. He literally met with the parable that the gospel speaks about. Literally. And shut the door in our face. That's incredible, huh? I think Smyrna deserves better. I want you to hear something Jesus said to Smyrna. These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. The Christian community here has gone away. But in the name of Jesus, it can come to life again. Amen. Just like the promises that we're saying in your life may have seemed to have gone away, but can come to life again. We serve a God who can do it for nations, a God who can do it for individuals. Let me show you a warning that was given to Smyrna. Do not be afraid of what you are going to suffer. Be faithful even to the point of death. It turns out that Smyrna with all of its Christian community still would be marked with suffering and they would have to stand through it. But look at their promise. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. In other words, this life can take your life from you, but it cannot take the life that God is giving you away from you. Church, we might do well to visit these cities, not just with our feet, but with our very presence of mind. Is the devil trying to threaten you out of a promise of God today? Is he trying to tell you that it's dead and that it can't come back? Is he telling you what it will cost you in pain and humiliation to trust the Lord? Can I tell you, as soon as we find out we're pregnant again, you know what we wanted to do. You want to guard. You want to protect. You want to make sure that you're far enough along so as to be reasonably safe. The promises of God are never safe. They're always bold. They're always daring. They force you to look into death and say there will be life. That is what being a Christian is. This is why God sends men from one nation to another. This is why it brings life to a little town called Pazar when six people get out of a van there and say, you know what, we were praying on the other side of the world and our Bible speaks about your town in a very roundabout way. They took that as destiny. And it's begun a dialogue. I could ask you what that is worth, but I would like to rather put it in a different format. If you were Cesar or Toprak or Sue, what would it be worth to you if you had been denied the light of God's Word? Let's take our next one. Hello, LCM. We are standing outside of Bergama. This is biblical Pergamum. It's one of those cities that has a unique history. The Bible says that this is Satan's throne. More than that, a faithful witness named Antipas, you might say an original DCD, was here a long time ago. His name means that he stood against everything. That's because this was the religious center of the Roman Empire before Rome was. We wanted to send you a quick note. We understand that you're studying this morning, Giver Ha'il. Well, Mighty men of valor have been entering into the enemy's territory and rescuing goats from the savages of hell for a long time and turning them into sheep.
thank you for sending us here. We fully intend to go stand on the spot they say Zeus was born. See, our God was not born. He's not a created thing. He did indwell the man Jesus Christ, and that spirit now indwells us. We pray that you have a spirit-filled service here today, and we want you to know that we fully intend to see souls saved in this Muslim heartland. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Love you. Perform out there what you've practiced in the service today. Amen. And all of us, our insides were lit up electrically. Like something is going on in the spiritual realm there, and you could feel it. Uh, we pulled over on the side of the road just to pray, and the young stallions all hopped out of the car and took off. Left, left me and Gabe, because they wouldn't let Gabe go, uh, standing there to pray like, like old maids. And... You know, an hour went by and it was a little less funny. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't know where anybody was. They actually were led by the townspeople out to a field where in the 1930s, the last church was destroyed by fire and torn down. And they stood on the stones of its foundation and prayed that God would rebuild the church there again. Amen. Listen to what the word says about Bergama or Pergamum. You have a... You have people who hold to the teaching of Balaam, sexual immorality. The thing is, is this was the de facto capital of Asia Minor under many of the emperors. And so every wicked thing that you could think of that Rome was associated with was associated with Bergama. And you could see it in the broken down statues and stuff there. Idolatry everywhere. But they got a promise to the overcomer here. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. You'll be fed from heaven. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it. That white stone was for pardon and it was for healing. Uh, known only to him who receives it. And a new name known only to him who receives it. It turns out that when we face the evils of our day, God will give us provision from heaven. He'll give us healing from heaven. He will give us identity from heaven. From beginning to end, from Ephesus right through Bergamo or Pergamum, you find out that the church has always had to stand. And in standing, God molds us into something that is beautiful. Do you want to be beautiful in His eyes, church? Yes. Now, it's been an unusual service with lots of media. And I have just a few more to go. But let me ask, is it important to you that this is the Son that God loves? Think about it this way. In the last book of the Bible, the churches that he chose to address were standing in. He chose to address them. Do you know why? Because he disciplines those that he loves. He told them, I have this for you. I have this against you. He was refining them in the same way that a father refines his children, wanting them to do well. And do you know what there's not there today? Church. A church. I'm overwhelmed with that. I'm consumed with it to the point that it's almost all I can think about. Now, I want you to do well. I want you to learn from the discipline that your older brother, the seven churches of Asia Minor, have received so that you also can be directed in a right way. But if the message that was theirs has made it as far as us, don't we have some duty to bring that message back to them? This was the uh, largest Christian presence outside of Israel. In fact, when you look at biblical geography, places like Noah's Ark, 
places like Galatia, uh, uh, each of the churches of, of Revelation, almost every letter that was written was written from or to a church in Turkey. Is that incredible? We have some responsibility to these people. This is uh, Thyatira. Hello, Churches of the One Association. We are standing in Thyatira. Uh, what an incredible experience. We are surrounded by worshipers of a satanic moon god. And it is the last few days of Ramadan. This is Lydia's hometown. All that is left of that era is behind us in these columns. Uh, there's a gate around even the ruins and there's graffiti on it. You know, Jesus told the church of Thyatira that his eyes were like blazing fire and that his feet were like burnished bronze. He sees rightly and he walks the just path of God's judgment. The church was growing and it was doing more now than it had previously. And yet there were some things that were held against them. They had allowed sexual immorality. They had refused to repent. And they had so-called Satan's deep secrets. We were meant to rule over the nations. We are supposed to stand with the King of Israel. Times are dark in Thyatira. As far as we can tell, there are no Christians here and haven't been for some time. We pray that a spirit is beginning to rise among the churches that we will again rise to meet the challenge of our day in this Antichrist spirit. It is time to let our eyes blaze with the fire of the Holy Ghost and our feet carry us to God's justice. We love you. We thank you for helping us in these endeavors. And we say, let us go find those who are like Lydia. Amen. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You can't find Lydia if you don't go. And so we're trying to pave a way that you'll be able to follow. Did you notice a smirk on Judah's face? He's trying to hold back laughter because Gabriel had a cat that was harassing his foot during the video. And Gabriel kicked that cat hard enough that it flew over the fence and into the stone columns behind. Which became kind of a game in every city we were in after that to see if you could clear the nearest wall with the local cat. Uh, let's take our next slide. Uh, this was the correction given to Thyatira. Let's take the uh, promise to the overcomer. The promise to the overcomer was to him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, uh, I will also give him the morning star. The one with blazing eyes and burnished feet, burning with bronze. He, he said this to the people of Thyatira. And you know, they're not there now. But we were. You helped us get there. You prayed for us while we were there. And I'm looking forward to the day that we can visit Christians in every one of these cities. How about you? Is that a worthwhile endeavor? Is that a noble task to want to see Christians in the places that Jesus Christ Himself addressed? Let's take our next one. We're going um, right through the same order in the Bible. We are in Sart, uh, which is Sardis. This might interest you, by the way. Uh, how, how many of you have already seen this video? Amen. The rest of you, this, um, 
this might make this chapter of Revelation make better sense to you. Well, hello, churches of the One Association. We're standing here in Sardis, and uh, it's a very interesting place. There's very little that remains from the first century. We're actually in a synagogue from the third century, and it has a couple neat things. There's an inscription here about uh, God-fearing Gentiles, and uh, it's just unusual in an area where there are no Jews anymore and there are no Christians to find such a big building preserved from ancient times. You know, this city in the book of Revelation, the Christians that were here, they were warned. They were told to wake up and strengthen what remains or else uh, they would suffer a thief in the night kind of coming of the Lord. And the thing is, is from their history, several times something had happened. The great King Cyrus, who had uh, been so instrumentally used by God and called out by Isaiah in ancient times, he got into a war with a local monarch named Croesus. And um, it was thought that Croesus' hilltop castle could not be penetrated. It had somewhere between a 1,000 and 1,500 foot uh, sheer face on one side, so they didn't even guard it. And Sardis was internationally renowned throughout the empires for having made the mistake of believing that their fortress was impenetrable. In other words, they didn't understand where they were vulnerable. And in a single night, a Persian soldier climbed up the back of that cliff face and opened the city for them. It's interesting how Jesus drew on their own history to say, you think you're standing in a stronger position than you are. You have a reputation for being alive, but you're really dead. Oh, wow. Can you feel the Spirit telling you to take sober judgment of your life? It's very important, brothers, very important, sisters, that we know exactly where we stand. Because in the physical location that we're at now, where the Christians were told to wake up and strengthen themselves, there are no more Christians. Now is the time. These are the days when we must reclaim desolate inheritances. Amen. In the name of Jesus, Turkey will again call on the name of the Lord. Amen. The very place the epistles were written to will have Christians thriving in them again. We love you. We thank you for all that you do to help us in this vision. God bless you. Amen. Let's take that next slide. On the idea of sober judgment. Listen to what the church was said. You are dead and dying. Wake up. I have not found your deeds complete. They actually had a reputation for being alive. But in fact, in Jesus' eyes, what were they? They had a reputation for being on fire. But the reality is they were spiritually dead. What a scathing rebuke by the Lord. And the city itself had been known for a false confidence. The idea that they could not be captured, that they could not be overrun. And yet twice in their history, in a single day, a lone soldier had defeated the entire city. If there was anything that the American church needs to hear, it's that we might need to take sober judgment of our life. Just because you think that you are fired up does not mean that you're fired up in the Lord's eyes. He is examining our deeds to see whether or not they're complete. Man, isn't that worth dwelling on for a minute? Notice that in every city 
Jesus wrote to them and it matched their geography. It matched their history. It matched their present time. It had a meaning in their time and for all time. I look forward to Christians again being able to read these letters in those cities because they were designed for them. And it's our job to go and discover them. Let's take Philadelphia, our next city. Hello, LCM and the One Association Churches. We are standing in Al-Shihir, which is a, a Turkish town that means the city of God. I'm watching these children play, and uh, this is where they wash to go into the mosque. In ancient times, this city was not called Al-Shihir. In fact, not, not 10 feet from this mosque, we see something else. Right behind me uh, is the Church of Philadelphia, uh, which we just got thrown out of, by the way. That was really interesting. But what Jesus wrote to this church was that he would write on them the name of his God and the name of the city of his God, the New Jerusalem. And what an amazing promise that Jesus would give to a church that would hold on to the crown that they had been given. Let's hold on to the crown that God has given us and the promises that he has given us until the very end. The only thing that remains in this city are two pillars. Look at this next scripture. I know that you have little strength. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Surely the people that he said that to need to be there for that to make sense, right? Look at the next, next slide. Him who overcomes, I will make a... What's the only thing standing left in the city from the first century? Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and of the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on him my new name. Notice the promise to Philadelphia is I will make you immovable. There, there remains no Christians there, but do you know what is still there? The symbol of the promise. By the way, in Turkey, when you see something that says church, when you walk in, what you find is that there was once a church there that they tore down and burned, and now there's a collection plate to see its remnants. That's, that's what you find. This takes us to our last church for the day, and we'll bring our message to a close very shortly thereafter. Uh, let's take this one. This is Laodicea. One association. Greetings from Laodicea. Amen. Heropolis was a civilization directly due north of us toward those mountains. They were known for their hot water springs, which were therapeutic to the people that participated in them. Directly east of us at the moment is Colasse. It was known for icy cold water that flowed down from the mountains. It seemed to denote something about the character of the people around us. Hey, Daddy, you got some water? I do. It turns out that Laodicea had no water supply of its own. They were dependent on the hot waters from Heropolis or the cold waters from Colos. This left their city water supply a very tepid mixture that some of the ancients called nauseous. Church, apparently it makes the Lord nauseous when you mix the extremes of the world and the holiness of the kingdom. This seems to be what John had in mind. 
when he wrote the revelation of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you today as we stand in a city that is infamous for trying to live somewhere in the middle of their worldly, wealthy, wealthy possessions and the glory of the kingdom of God to either burn hot towards the Lord and cold towards the world or just choose Baal. We've chosen Jesus Christ. The other areas of this city were a temple, which is right behind me. In the 3rd and 4th century, right behind that temple, over in the covered area, behind this arch, was a church. We have always had to face the world and its supposed pleasures. The DCD, we've chosen the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. With the first church, Ephesus, we had to be careful not to be mixed with the world that was competing with their first love. With the last church, Laodicea, we also had to be careful not to mix the worldly and the spiritual. We had to be careful not to produce a nauseous mixture of Christianity that God Himself could not accept. From beginning to end, we find out that God delights in His children and so He works for their perfection. We began speaking to you today out of Proverbs about the son uh, who is delighted in by his father. To this last church in Revelation 3.19, he wrote these words, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. From beginning to end, the message is that the father delights in you enough to actually direct your life. He's not trying to intimidate you through fear. He's not trying to control you or manipulate you. He loves you enough to perfect you for His glory. The seven churches of Asia Minor are a testament to a promise that looks dead but will live again. It ought to encourage you, little flock, that the Lord can cause your promise to live again as well. In fact... If you're undergoing discipline now, if you're undergoing a refining now, it's because He delights in you. It's not Turkey alone that He delights in. He delights in you. And when you realize that, and you fall in love with Him as a son, you can't help but love the things that He loves and care for those that He cares for. I want to read to you three passages and close with a video. In Luke 6... Abimbola sent me this, and I was so blessed. By the way, as we're going to Luke 6, the point of Luke 6 is what we have been preaching about for the last six weeks or so. We'll read it, and then I'll tell you about it. In Luke 6, beginning in verse 40, A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained. Say fully. Fully. What kind of trained? Fully. Fully trained will be like his teacher. When you have been fully trained, the result is that you look like your teacher. How important is it that we are fully trained? When you examine the messages that have come forward, wrecked in Turkey was the last message I spoke here. Wrecked in Turkey was about being emptied of your own desires, emptied of your own life. Brother Nick shared a message called AI. It was about amats increasing, about a holy courage, a bold confidence from heaven filling every empty space in your life. Pastor Sutherland then shared about Giver Hail. It was the ultimate man 
the one who is courageous and full of faith that is an example to all men everywhere. Then about the threshing floor, the way in which God will sift through your life to show you what belongs and doesn't belong in your life, gathering the grain into the barn and the chaff being burned up. Then He moved into teaching you about equipping for other people's sake. That what you're receiving is for other people's sake. And then Abimbola began to preach to you about less talk and more walk. We have an action-oriented gospel. And there is a reason for it. In Luke 12, I want to read to you the 32nd verse. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves so that that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What does the father delight in giving you? The kingdom. What does the father delight in giving you? The kingdom is not somewhere else that you go to. The kingdom is everywhere that the king's rule and dominion is recognized. He delights in making his rule in his kingdom recognizable in your life. The reason these messages have been preached is the father delights in you. And he wants your life to look like his kingdom. So that his kingdom spreads everywhere. You know where else his kingdom is? Everywhere we go and establish it. That's why we're going back to the churches that have been desolate. And we're going to reclaim the inheritances. That's why we're taking the word into the darkness of Islam. Because it's waiting. It's the prototype of the kingdom of God. The seed is planted there. And the waters of heaven will germinate it again. And we will see what was dead live again. For that to happen, there will have to be men who were once dead and have now been brought to life in the Holy Ghost. There'll have to be churches that know what it is to fight for a promise. There'll have to be people that know what it is to be refined in the glory of God. I believe that you're called to be such a people. That's why we preach to you as we do. That's why there's three pastors for 150 sheep here. That's why we want to be a part of your life. And you are blessed in Pastor Piro and Pastor Sutherland. They did an amazing job. We've been following from Turkey, watching to see what's happening. The Lord loves you and He delights in you. He wants to give you His kingdom. In the seven churches of Revelation, there were things that were addressed in each one of their lives. This I have for you. And this I have against you. And there was a promise for them. Can I tell you that a promise will defeat whatever is plaguing you? That if you believe in the certainty of the promise, if you are sure, then it will defeat whatever is plaguing you. You're going to have to dig deep and trust in the promise of God. That promise will carry you through whatever it is that is persecuting you now. We are people of a promise. And when you hold to it, when you cling to it, when you breathe life into it, when you fan it hot to the Lord and cold to the world, when you grow in that promise, it will carry you through the difficult times because they're destined to come. There is one more church site that I wanted to show you. It turns out that the letter to the Colossians was written uh, right outside of Laodicea. This is what Colossus looks like today. 
we're standing on an incredible hilltop uh, with a view that is unprecedented. Uh, this used to be the place where Colossae lied. Uh, it is now just a hill with little remnants of the powerful church that used to be here. It's incredible to look around and, and to see. Laodicea is just due east of us here, maybe about 10 kilometers away. Very, very close by. knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may be a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Saints, there will again be a day when those words will have meaning to the villages around us. They too will be rescued from the darkness of Islam and brought into the glorious kingdom of the son of God. In the name of Jesus, amen. As we close this service, I want you to reflect on your high calling. Paul wrote these words to the Colossians. We were standing on top of what remains of their city there. He said in Colossians 1.21, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard, that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Oh, church, how do we continue if we are not disciplined? How do we continue if we're not warned from heaven? How do we continue if we proclaim ourselves innocent at every turn and do not grow? The searing truth of the word of God is for every man and woman in this room, he holds something for you and he holds something against you. It was not only true for them. In the churches of Revelation, it is also true for you. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. How quickly we answer an altar call when we come forward to receive our blessing. And how slowly do we respond when we're asking the Lord to, to uncover. What is it that you hold against me, Lord? What stone have I hidden an idol under? Where is my lack of obedience? 
Every son that he delights in, everyone, he perfects. Have you reached perfection? Or is there still something that you must do today? As for me and my family, we've been encouraged that no discipline, none, is too unpleasant to go through. It is all for our perfecting. No trial is too unpleasant to go through. It is for our perfecting. We are learning what it is to humble ourselves before the Spirit of God when things don't go our way and wait for the sun to shine again as we reform our behavior. When we stand to our feet, we're going to worship together. You know what would be great is if this wasn't just a missions message. Oh, yay, turkey. But it became a message where you unwrench something from your life that never should have been there and that you know cannot stay there now. Or you could just go about your day, wait for somebody to travel across the world to confront you in the public square. I bet that the Spirit of God loves you enough to free you this day from things that don't belong. I bet that he does. And I bet in the moment that you let go of the one thing, heaven will fill your hands with something new. Oh man, how good would that be? How many of you would like to receive something from heaven? What can you let go of in your life to be able to receive that? Stand to your feet.